It's May 3rd. It's Tuesday and you're locked into Real Talk. Ryan Jesperson here with you alongside John Hicks. A lot to talk about today. Obviously, Politico with an exclusive uh, last night blowing the doors off a political discussion, not just in the United States, but around the world. An exclusive that suggests, that proves, I guess, that the Supreme Court in the United States, the highest court, of course, has voted to strike down the landmark Roe v. Wade decision this according to an initial draft majority opinion written by justice samuel alito and we're going to be talking about that today and in days to come obviously uh and we'll lead off the show with that this morning on this tuesday we're also going to check in with jessica scott reed she's a freelance journalist Uh, she focuses on animal rights animal welfare a story out of iowa that's impacting canadian poultry producers as well the avian flu is what we're talking about and some of the issues the ethical issues that go along with that ethical issues in ag we'll also check in with two members of parliament today i'm uh encouraged that both eric duncan a conservative mp and rob oliphant a liberal mp will be joining us together they'll be stepping out of uh their obligations in ottawa for about 10 15 minutes to join us about a half hour about 40 minutes in fact from right now to talk about Canada's blood ban being lifted Uh, Canadian blood services making that announcement does it go far enough did it take too long how has this impacted both of these elected officials personally that's what we'll endeavor to find out today it's going to be a jam-packed edition of the show we look forward to your feedback your input coming to us on Twitter our official hashtag real talk RJ and of course we'll take a look at our live chat too if you're if, if you're putting a little bit more thought taking a little bit more time to say what you'd like to say you can also always send us an email too to talk at ryanjesperson.com the show happens because of amazing sponsors like the team at Bitcoin well they've been with us since the very beginning you can find them online at bitcoinwell.com find out how you can buy your Bitcoin with a visa debit card and create an account. As they say, it's simple to self-custody your Bitcoin with them. What does self-custody mean? If you have questions, this is what sets them apart from from the apps and the other services. There's real-life people there to give you the answers you're looking for, like Benny. You can find their team, Bitcoin Well, under the Sponsors tab on our website as well at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We pay attention to our own orbit, don't we? And uh, if you're like me, when you wake up in the morning, maybe the last thing you do before you go to bed, I mean, aside from, you know, like saying I love you to to your, your life partner or whoever it is, or send a text to your parents or your kids, let them know that you think about them, you care about them. But maybe one of the last things you do is you check in on your social media, whether it's your Instagram, your Twitter, you find out what people are saying, you find out what's going on. And last night, uh, my Uh, timeline it didn't matter if it was men or women it didn't matter if it was older or younger people it didn't matter if they were in Canada the United States or Europe it didn't matter where they were coming from or what their story was they were talking about this story this exclusive from Politico Uh, and it's one that of course is going to impact people not just in the United States but around the world including here in Canada and this is where we'll take our conversation over the next number of days Uh, you can read it at politico.com the Supreme Court has voted to overturn Abortion rights, a draft opinion shows a lot of people are talking about this leak, uh, not necessarily a leak in so many ways as it's the action of a whistleblower, somebody who saw what was going on and and probably, I think, without a doubt, in fact, took great professional risk uh, to make sure that this document found its way into journalists. As mentioned, the Supreme Court has voted to strike down the landmark, the 50 year old Supreme Court decision, according to this initial draft majority opinion. So what does this mean? That's the big question. What it appears to mean is that states in the U.S. like Mississippi that have been challenging abortion legislation, and and Mississippi is far from the only one, will likely see the Supreme Court rule in its favor. Uh, A person familiar with the court's deliberations, and you know this if you've been reading about it, says that four of the Republican-appointed justices have joined Alito. That's Justices Thomas, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Justice Coney Barrett have voted with Alito in the conference held among these justices. This after they heard oral arguments, that case out of Mississippi in December. 
and that this lineup remains unchanged as of this week. So what about the Democratic appointed justices? And, and boy, does this ever feel different if you're a Canadian talking about how American judges are appointed or talking about how this comes together, or talking about the dynamics of courts, right? A lot of the comments I'm seeing from people uh, on my timeline are going back to Hillary Clinton. They're talking about Donald Trump. They're talking about George W. Bush, the presidents that appointed some of these justices, right? In Canada, uh, similar conversations, but it's not the same structure. It's much more politically charged in the U.S. Would you agree? If you don't, I'd love to hear from you, too. Justices Breyer, Sotomayor, and Elena Kagan are working on one or more dissents, according to this person, this source. And everybody's wondering how the chief justice of the Supreme Court of the United States, John Roberts, will ultimately vote, whether he'll join an already written opinion or perhaps draft his own. That unclear as of right now. What's most obvious, what's most apparent is that advocates for women's rights, women's access to health services, women's rights to abortion are demonstrating strongly and loudly already. Demonstrations carried on through the night, most particularly in Washington, D.C., but you can expect to see this across the country. And of course, many people making their voices heard in other nations as well, including Canada. I, I just picked a few uh, not necessarily at random, but here were some of the tweets that I saw. These were people that were factoring or showing up in my timeline from Kathleen Smith, a, a local personality, so to speak, out of Alberta. She says this is not just about abortion. This is about the political right uh, dragging this entire continent back to 1950. It's about conservative white men reasserting omnipotent power over all of us. Abortion is just the start. Know that. And that's a big one. And you'll see another message coming up in just a second along those same lines. This from political strategist Stephen Carter. Uh, by the way, the strategist, Carter, uh, one of the three-headed monsters on that political podcast, will be joining us next Friday right here on the show for a Real Talk Roundtable. Carter says, we are watching a great democracy turn into a theocracy in real time. Freedom for me, but not for you especially if you're a woman, a minority, or poor. What a perversion, says Carter, of Christianity. I've seen a lot of people talking about uh, the hypocrisy here. Uh, many people arguing my body, my choice against vaccine mandates over the past year or so. You wonder if their views will align. I ask the question rhetorically when it comes to this. Kathleen Ballou says one historian of abortion argues that abortion stays at pretty much the same rate per capita over time whether it's legal or banned. What changes when you make it illegal is how many women die from it. And that's one of the big stories here. That's one of the reasons why this is such a significant story, because you know people will still find access to abortion. The question is whether or not it will be safe. Keith Edwards tweeting, if they overturn Roe, make no mistake, this court is coming for gay marriage next. The domino effect Here's another one that jumped out at me. This from Shannon Watts. You know, Shannon, she's a, a fierce advocate for gun legislation in the U.S. She says a reminder that the same lawmakers who say gun laws won't stop gun violence believe abortion laws will stop abortion. It's a strong point. And this one as well from an Alberta-based OBGYN. You've heard Dr. Fiona Matatal on this show before. She tweeted last night a reminder that criminalizing abortion does not stop abortions. It makes abortions unsafe. These are just a few of the comments, the hundreds of comments that, why, that I saw over last night into this morning, and I'm sure that you're experiencing the exact same thing. We're curious to know where you land on this. And of course, this is a story that we will continue to cover in days to come. You know, we've been holding on to a clip and, uh, you know, maintaining its its relevance. I mean, it's 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 forced itself back in the discussion here. This was uh, a conversation a couple of Sundays ago. I guess it was on the 24th of April. So about a week ago, just over a week ago, uh, between Dr. Leslin Lewis, she's a conservative MP. She wants to be leader of the conservative party. She wouldn't be considered a front runner, but she's not a nobody. You know what I mean? Uh, she's an elected representative, as is, and she was in conversation with Evan Solomon on CTV on Sunday morning and wanted to share this uh, with you. I think the entire clip is worth checking out. This conversation is happening in Canada, should not be flying under the radar. Here it is. You know Andrew Scheer was tripped up because of his views on, on, on issues like abortion. So let me get your view on abortion. Would you, if you were the prime minister, roll back abortion rights in Canada? 
Evan, the reason why I did so well last time is because I'm a unifier. I believe in building bridges. I am pro-life. I believe that people who are pro-choice, we can have a conversation. In fact, many of my closest friends are pro-choice and we have great conversations. And what I found out is that when we do not allow politics to divide us, we actually have things that we agree on, Evan. But do you agree? But, but, I, but do you agree? The majority of people, Evan, I have, I have four pro-life policies that I, I will be rolling out. And they are policies that the majority of Canadians agree on. I believe in finding unity, starting from things that we agree on, such as pregnancy care centers, and let's build on what we agree okay, on. Okay, but I just want to be specific on that. When, uh, some abortion, that us, Evan. Uh, but, but conversations are important. Access is important to people. They want access to safe abortions in provinces like New Brunswick and other provinces. Will you support that or not? Evan, I believe in the safety of women. Of course I believe in the safety of women. And as I said, my policies focus on what unites us. And really what unites us now is making sure that women who choose to have their babies, they may not have planned for it and they might find themselves in an unfortunate situation, Evan, and they may decide that they want to give their child up to a loving family for adoption. We want to make sure that we have those supports for those women. And I think that those are some life policies that the majority of Canadians agree on. Okay, so no answer to the question, obviously, as many of you are already pointing out in our live chat, but the conversation is happening. And this issue surfaces every time there is a federal election or lead up to a federal election, or in this case, a leadership race, in particular for the Conservative Party of Canada. So it's a question that begs to be asked here in Canada. Kathy right now is watching live on, on YouTube. She says, I know this is an American law we're talking about, but I'm wondering how the whole Roe v. Wade potential decision will affect abortion laws in Canada down the road. Kathy, that's a question we will endeavor to glean answers from and, and this is something that we'll have a conversation with experts on the show over the next number of days but you can have your say that's part of the whole point of real talk is that you can chime in and we want your take on this talk at ryanjesperson.com is where you can find us you can just click connect on our website and you'll find all of the ways to be in touch with the show please let us know where you land on this regardless of where you land and we'll keep this conversation going uh, journalist jessica scott reed in just a second want to remind you that Eden Landscaping is bringing outdoor spaces to life, a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area, and they're changing the way that a lot of people are seeing their front lawns. You spend a lot of time out there with that mower, right? You spend a lot of time trying to keep the grass looking green, trying to keep the dandelions away. Why not transform that space into what they call the urban butterfly yard approach? A landscape that respects local plant species, including the important pollinators that need a habitat. This is the new era of landscape design, and nobody does it better than Eden Landscaping. You can find them online today at landscapeedmonton.ca. Infinity Healthcare is always hiring. Are you a care provider? Are you somebody who's driven by compassion and empathy and service to others? Well, then a career in home care could be a perfect fit for you. They're always looking for people who are driven by a desire to provide reputable, consistent care to folks who need it, including people in advanced age that want to age at home. Families want to make sure that they're well cared for. You want to do it within your family's budget or tapping into resources available through public health funding. Infinity does it all and you can find them online at infinity-8.ca. And if you're lucky enough to be going wheels up and heading out of town somewhere hot, getting the family out of here for a week of R&R, why not keep money in your pocket by leaving your vehicle at Jet Set Parking? If you're flying out of EIA, with at least 24 hours advance notice, go to jetsetparking.com and book your parking online using the promo code REALTALK. If you use the promo code REALTALK at jetsetparking.com, you'll be able to park for $7 a day at EIA. That's where we park when we travel. We use the shuttle. It's nice and easy, and you're not going to find a better deal anywhere when it comes to airport parking. That's jetsetparking.com. 
Our next guest is a freelance journalist uh, focusing on animal rights, animal welfare. Uh, you've read her work likely in, in the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, the Winnipeg Free Press and uh, many other publications. She's here to talk about the avian flu and she's here to talk about chicken calls, millions of birds being taken down across North America. But we could read Jessica's body language as I was introducing the show today, talking about this Roe v. Wade decision. And I wondered, I don't mean to put you on the spot. We didn't invite you here to talk about this, but, but the look on your face, it seemed to me that you might have something to say about this. I mean, who doesn't? I mean, any any woman in North America right now has something to say about it. I think the idea of, like you said, that Canadians can imagine that this isn't going to impact us. It already is. The fact that these conversations are even happening um, mostly amongst white male politicians uh, is something that I think Canadians should be very afraid of. Uh, and to hear it coming out of a woman's mouth like that was disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. That's Leslie Lewis, leadership candidate for the Conservative Party. This is I, I think it's the type of scenario where you've got. Uh, like I said uh, in my opening comments, I'm noticing people fr- that would that would tick off every box when it comes to demographics. Every single person, this is on their radar today, and many people will approach this, of course, from from different positions. Uh, I saw Tara Sloan, who's been on the show before, the host of Hometown Hockey on Rogers. Just this morning, she tweeted, check in on the women in your life this morning. She said many of them are not okay, and right. that's a huge perspective check. Indeed. Yeah, I think it's a very it's it's a conversation I think none of us really expected to ever have to have again. And it's mind blowing that it's happening in, in this context, in this day and age. Um, so, yeah, check on check on your female friends. Mm. Jessica, I want to take you behind the scenes for a second before we even start talking about avian flu. And obviously, this is a story that a lot of people are paying attention to it, somewhat of an explosive story out of Iowa. If you, you know, five million birds called on in one operation on one farm, uh, more than 22 million birds called across the United States. But this avian flu is impacting poultry producers. Uh, including on Alberta farms, 12 active outbreaks, as far as we know, accounting for uh, more than a quarter million infected birds. When we were figuring out how to font you, what we were going to put up on camera when you were talking, initially had animal rights activist. And then I thought, well, she may prefer animal rights journalist, but all of your work centers around animal welfare. How do you approach your craft? Would you consider yourself to be an activist, a journalist? Can, Can you set the table for us here? I get asked that a lot. And the way that it's said in my bio underneath most of my opinion pieces um, is animal advocate and journalist. Mm. And I think advocacy journalism is, is, you know, a legitimate form of journalism. And I definitely uh, take both jobs very seriously. So I'm, I'm a voice for animals in the media. And I I take that job with a lot of um, uh, respect. Yeah. And and something you care very deeply about. And it's been my pleasure to speak with you a number of times uh, over the past number of years. Uh, can you can you set the scene for us when it comes to avian flu, how big of a deal this is? I know that poultry producers are are bracing for what they're suspecting will be further outbreaks of this highly transmissible and deadly variant of avian flu. That's that's certainly taking its toll here. And 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 obviously it means that millions of birds are being called. Uh, how do we get to this point here? What are some of the key points that you're observing as you're following this story, in particular in North America? Yeah, when we looked at uh, the Canadian numbers so far, so the CFIA tracks the amount of birds that are not only dying from the disease, but are being, you know, called these mass depopulation is what they like to call it. Uh, It's updated every Thursday. So last Thursday, we were um, almost reaching 1.4 million birds uh, just in Canada so far. And like I said, that's last Thursday. So when you look at the news story, so often you hear about how much money is being lost and how many jobs are being lost um, because these farming operations have to kill so much of their product. But very little conversation is really around the circumstances that lead to these things um, and how unsustainable and unhygienic our animal-based food system really is. I mean, the fact that we have these reservoirs for disease where these things can happen to the point where we're having to kill mass populations of animals on farms i think that's the bigger conversation that needs to be had i was uh, paying attention I'm, I'm trying to sort of get up to speed and understand how this type of outbreak happens or how this outbreak spreads and one of the theories that experts believe is is migratory birds can spread this uh, between different operations different farms and, and in many cases uh, different jurisdictions um, regardless of of how you've 
I don't want to say how you feel about it, but regardless of the method of how these animals are being called, um, is there an acknowledgement? I mean, when you talk to experts or how you personally feel, is there an acknowledgement that a call is absolutely necessary? I mean, my understanding is that the rapid rate of infection here can be obviously devastating for farm operations, for the ag industry. I mean, how do you approach this with regards to what you think is is the acceptable way to deal with this? I get asked that a lot, um, asking, you know, when you're criticizing these these horrific methods of of killing animals on farms by the thousands, you know, what's the better what's the better answer? What's the better solution? And there really isn't. And people will say, well, what's the most humane method to do this? Uh, And I often correct and say there really is no more humane. There may just be less cruel. So in the U.S., you know, we have these um, these methods that have been exposed during covid one called ventilation shutdown which is uh, one of the most disgusting things I've ever heard. Um, But here in Canada, I've been told that we don't have this ventilation shutdown method. So what it is, in fact, is they they close up these barns. They close up any ventilation. They shut the ventilation off. um, And there's different degrees of how this works. So either they close up all the ventilation and allow the animals to simply suffocate and overheat to death. Um, There's also another method where they crank the heat so that it happens a little faster, this roasting of animals alive, which we've seen some protests about in the US. And then there is a method where they um, pipe in CO2 gas. And so here in Canada, the CFIA told me that we don't have ventilation shutdown as an approved method for mass depopulation of animals on farms. They told me that gas is the typical method. But when I asked them, how is this gas being used? You know, Are the animals being removed and gassed somewhere else? Or are you piping in gas into the barns, which is essentially ventilation shutdown plus gas? Uh, and I haven't received a response after multiple attempts to get that information. So it's difficult to know here in Canada how these animals are really being killed. Um, but the, there is no simple answer to, to what a better alternative could possibly be. It's, it's, um, it's a, a recipe for disaster to begin with. Yeah, I mean, so you, you've got the story of, of avian flu, which is a huge story. And then you've got the story reported by Chris McGreal, who did, uh, does a great job for The Guardian. People can read it at theguardian.com. This is the one talking about this operation in Iowa. Uh, this is the guy that owns the Minnesota Timberwolves NBA franchise, by the way. This is the guy that owns this Rembrandt factory. But uh, the U.S. egg factory roasting alive, it's described as more than five million chickens um, in an avian flu call. And then there's the human side of it as well. Fired almost every worker that had to participate in that gruesome task to wrap your mind around 5.3 million birds. I mean, rows upon rows of these, these, uh, what do you want to call it? Like a poultry graveyard, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got to get rid of them somehow. They got to destroy them somehow, but wait, what makes that story so inflammatory? What makes it so remarkable in the sense of what it's done to public opinion is the method Mm -hmm. that was utilized for these chickens where they talk about that shutting down the ventilation cranking up the heat and essentially these birds die in distress people that work in ag people that work in farming we're going to hear from a bunch of different people i guarantee it and they're going to talk about the care that goes into their animals and how they approach their farming and they're proud of it and it's a family operation and all of this is true i'm sure in many if not most circumstances But what it's reiterated to me is that most members of the general public have absolutely no idea what goes on when it comes to agriculture and for the most part, almost anything else. Yeah. And I think when when this all became exposed uh, during covid, because we had these supply chain disruptions during the beginning of the pandemic, that's when we first learned about these methods of mass culling. Um, It was an activist group called Direct Action Everywhere that um, obtained footage from a whistleblower in I believe it was Iowa, um, that showed this gassing or this ventilation shutdown plus gassing of pigs. Uh, And the footage is absolutely horrific. And it's the first time even I, someone who's, you know, in this world, had heard of such a thing. And then I researched about it, found out that it was approved by the American uh, Veterinary Medical Association, which was shocking. And you'd think after now almost two years later that there would have been a change uh, to, to this now that the public has been made aware. Uh, and no change has been made. And so now that it's happening in Canada too, with avian flu, um, I think more and more people are becoming aware that these methods exist, but I don't, I don't see any prospect of them changing. 
Jessica, would, would you tell us about this was a couple of years coming up on a couple of years ago. The, oh, by the way, can, Johnny, can we take the wide shot of Jessica? This is a very dog friendly show. It's a very cat. It's a very animal friendly show. And you <laughs> you so do have a, dogs. Yeah, you do have a companion. At least one I can tell in the room. You want to maybe he introduce always, us? To, he always has to come up on my lap when I'm doing Zooms. I don't know how he knows. It must be a ch- tone of my voice. So if you hear any weird doggy noises. Oh, no, who is that fella? This is Boo. Boo, the Chihuahua, obviously. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And does does Boo have a partner? Is there another Chihuahua that they run There's around together? There's another Chihuahua somewhere sleeping, and then a deaf blind cocker spaniel in a corner somewhere. There's a lot going on. Uh, here. Okay. There's 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 a lot going on in that house. We got to do a best of uh, real talk dogs. We should do we should do a here. real talk a real talk dogs <laughs> calendar. We could even do maybe and uh, and cats too. Um, I don't mean to jump back and forth between the frivolous <laughs> and fun and the deadly serious, but, but I guess that's kind of what a good show we can have do to sometimes and a good a break, conversation. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I know you're here with me, Jess uh, Jessica Scott Reed. If you're just tuning in animal rights uh, advocate and independent uh, or rather freelance journalist at sentientmedia.org you wrote a piece coming up on two years ago July uh, 28th of 2020 when gassing animals to death doesn't work um, and uh, a pretty powerful image in there of, of swine of pigs uh, can you take us into that piece and, and what you were writing about how that wound up on your radar and the impact of looking into that story yeah, again, this was a, a, at the start of the pandemic when uh, animals were being culled on farms. And there was two cases here in Manitoba of hens that were found live at the Brady landfill here in Manitoba. Um, not once, but twice, two birds each time. Um, and they were, you know, the people who work at the dump, they don't know what to do. They see atop these piles and piles of dead chickens suddenly emerges these live chickens walking atop them. Uh, And so it turned out that when these animals are gassed, however they're gassed, still haven't found out exactly how that works, sometimes animals don't die. And so these animals have to go through this process of watching everybody die around them, being uh, loaded into dump trucks, shift off to the landfill, and then dumped in the landfill. And some of them survive. Uh, And I think that's another, like you were saying, another aspect of animal agriculture that people are really not aware of. Um, that this happens, that it can happen, that it's allowed to happen. Uh, so thankfully, these hens were uh, rescued and now live lives uh, loved and cared for on sanctuaries here in Manitoba, um, which is definitely not how things end up for most of them. I uh, When I announced or when, when we promoted that you were going to be on the show uh, this morning, when we put it out yesterday, there are a couple of people, and I, I know they're clowning around, probably drives you nuts, uh, <laughs> but people were basically like, yeah, like, chickens yeah you know what i mean yeah i'm gonna go grab myself a a chicken burger i'm gonna go grab myself a chicken filet like whatever and um it it reiterates to me that that we do as humans at the the so-called what do you say top of the pecking order uh no pun intended necessarily that was uh but but we we uh pick and choose maybe you don't but we pick and choose which animals we really care about We, we we care very deeply about bottlenose dolphins and humpback whales um, some people care about sharks. They should. Um, people don't care at all about cockroaches and mosquitoes and horse flies. And, uh, and, and then everything else kind of finds its order in there, right? Chihuahuas are right up near the top of the list. Uh, some people would argue that cats should be even higher than that. I don't know. Uh, but when it comes to a story like this, I think a lot of people may dismiss it, uh, because we want ourselves, uh, to feel okay, or because we don't necessarily want to challenge ourselves in this regard, or we don't have to make tough decisions about uh, the operations that we support as consumers or what have you. Uh, but what would your message be to the people that would be inclined to dismiss this story because it's chickens? You know, there's a word for that. It's called speciesism. Um, and it is the idea that some uh, animals or species matter more than others. And, you know, those of us in the animal rights welfare world uh, don't believe in that. We believe that, you know, suffering is suffering. Uh, and so we often will use the idea of imagine it was a shed full of puppies that had the windows shut, the doors sealed, uh, the heat cranked, and perhaps gas piped in. Um, suffering is suffering. And you have to also take into account that what we're learning about climate change. Um, and the involvement of animal agriculture in that. It's not just uh, an animal welfare issue. It's also uh, a climate issue. It's a people problem. Um, We're seeing now too that when we're having these climate disasters, the BC floods here in Manitoba, we're experiencing flooding right now. There's an unverified story of uh, a couple thousand pigs that just died in a barn here in Manitoba because 
of the recent storm and the power outages caused the ventilation to shut down. Uh, in BC, we saw that it was farmed animals were perhaps the worst victims of all, losing their lives by the thousands. So I think we have to take into account that this is a whole holistic issue. Um, this industry itself is causing uh, greenhouse gas emissions, methane emissions to the point that it's raising the temperature of the planet and causing more of this climate chaos that then in turn kills more animals. So you take that into, into account, you take zoonotic diseases into account, we're still in a pandemic and now there's a bird flu uh, outbreak. So all of these things have one common denominator. Uh, and so even if you don't care about chickens, uh, you should care about the population uh, that you're part of. Humans are gonna be impacted by this too. We already are. Uh, getting some great comments online. Smurfy's wondering, does avian flu have any human risk? The experts say no. Uh, Hope says, I know many small farmers who take their job seriously do the best for their animals. Uh, she says, so to paint the entire industry, this is irresponsible. I don't think anybody's painting the entire industry, but we're talking about a reality of industry. And this is fact. This is being proven and reported by journalists. Um, you know, Marie says, if you all had to go kill your own chicken or pig or beef, you'd all think differently. Mm. Kimberly, with a great question. I mean, this is essentially maybe not the most important question, but it's right up there. Uh, she says, my question is, what is the humane way to deal with this issue? Jessica? Yeah. And, that, and like I had said before, I get asked this a lot. And there is really nothing we can call humane. We can call methods less cruel. Hmm. Um, I think you could objectively say that closing up barns and turning off ventilation and turning up the heat is probably the most horrific way you could do this. Gassing is considered quicker so you could call it less cruel but i would not call it humane jessica scott reed is an animal rights uh, advocate an independent journalist a freelancer and you can follow her on twitter at jess l reed encourage you to do so if you missed that you can just check out the real talk rj account we promote our guests every single morning so you know where to find them thanks for making time for us we really appreciate it thanks for having me again yeah you bet John Hicks, the producer of this show, I could see like when, I knew, I when knew we booked Jess. Well, you knew I was going to come to you yeah, just because you're a guy that cares and, and you, <clears throat> yeah. you, you have opinions on these types of things, as most people do. And I love that we're seeing a lot of real talkers share their takes on this. You know, Brenda says, you know, animals do have feelings. Marie says all animals know when they're going to be killed. Dylan says, honestly, I love it, Dylan. This is real talk. He says, honestly, if I had to kill my own chicken or pig, I'd probably become a vegan. That from yeah, Dylan. It happens. Yeah. Believe me. I'm yeah. in there. <laughs> yeah, and this, but, but you know uh, what? That's that's a fair story. Uh, that's a fair question. Is it like what is the humane way to deal with it? You got to deal with it. A hundred percent. And uh, I think we need a whole day or a panel for this because I don't want to act like an expert. But you know, I haven't eaten meat for a few years, and one of the reasons is I just kind of there's just somebody <laughs> just put a comment here and said the uh, problem is too many humans, and it's true. We just we have a huge reliance on food animals mm -hmm. and meat, and mm -hmm. we eat. I have to say like too much of it. And, you know, I don't hate farmers. I don't hate, you know, that kind of agriculture and, and what they do, but it's just, we've, we've got to find a better way to do this because, you know, relying on trillions and trillions of factory farmed animals. And I know like a lot of that is happening mostly in the States, but it's just not working. It and happens it, here and it's too, causing, though, right? It's causing problems. So people are going to say, you know, a friend of mine in university, his, his family's done very well in, in poultry farming. Like they do chickens and yeah. turkeys and uh, you go into those barns and it's, it's uh, like a remarkable experience. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's overwhelming. In fact, uh, hundreds or thousands of birds in and these big, huge barns and the, the air is kind of heavy and the temperatures and it's just like, and that that's the, the environment that they need. And the, these were, they, they are ethical producers. I'm not yeah. saying they're not. It's just, it was a huge reality check shocking, to right? see how many thousands of birds are in there. Yeah. But, but what do I want to do, man? I want to be able, if my friends are coming over to order like six pounds of wings, <laughs> right? or I want to be able to roll through a drive through and get, yeah. five chicken sandwiches to show up to the picnic and hook everybody up. But we want to have everything that we want to have right there on at demand. a price we can afford on demand available whenever we want it. And, and I understand there's like a reliance in, in a lot of countries on, you know, cheap meat and, and protein and sure. stuff like that. But it's just, it's just, it's so strange how like, and when I say animals, I know humans are animals too, but food animals, they're like the last living things that like, we're okay. It's okay for us to oppress them. Like you were saying in the interview, like people are like, eh, chickens, whatever. Right. It's, I don't know. It just seems strange to me is all.
Yeah. We should do a whole table. You should get a, a few experts yeah, together. Yeah, we did, yeah. Uh, I guess this would be probably about a year ago, we did um, a roundtable on the ethics of eating. Uh, we yeah. did one on the ethics of hunting. And, and I, I love and welcome these conversations. And, and I hope to hear from producers. I'd love to hear from somebody that works in poultry. Yeah. I'm in a reality check. This, this avian flu, this is a huge deal. I mean, the, the financial implications of this, you might say, well, that's kind of a tacky thing to focus on. That's real life, though, right? I mean, the CBC's done a good job. Wallace Snowden reporting on this. Poultry producers are stressed to the max right now as avian flu sweeps through Alberta farms. So you want to hit this story, a story like this, from a number of different angles, which is what we endeavor to do. Uh, we're going to be talking to a couple of MPs, uh, liberal and conservative MPs, coming up in about five minutes' time here on the show. I'm looking forward to this conversation on, on Canada. Canadian Blood Services essentially ending its blood ban. Before we get there, let me tell you about Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge right now. If your family's looking to upgrade your ride just in time for the summer, and, and who knows why, might be that your family's expecting a new addition. Hey, maybe you have to ramp up your capability. Maybe your family needs a little bit more space. Maybe you're going to get a trailer and take your kids out camping for the first time. Maybe you finally, you saved up and you need something to pull that new fishing boat you just picked up. Congratulations. Nothing beats the Ram 1500 TRX. My buddy Cam just picked one up a couple of months ago at St. Albert Dodge. He loves it. You sort of ask him how it is. Being behind the wheel of a Ram 1500 TRX, this is the one with the Hellcat motor in it, and he just starts laughing. That's as good of an endorsement as it gets. The TRX will leave you laughing. My slogan, not Dodge's. But you can find a great selection of the 1500s, the Jeeps, and everything else you'd expect. The best selection in the province at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. You can find them online under the Sponsors tab on our website. Our friends at Park Power want to remind you that life is getting more expensive. Like it or not, politicians are talking about inflation, but so are folks at the grassroots. People at soccer fields, people at coffee shops are trying to find ways to save money. One of those ways is to compare rates today, what you're paying for electricity, natural gas, and internet. Look into the fixed rate options available at parkpower.ca. And most importantly, don't forget to use the promo code 2022-REALTALK when you bring your business over to Park Power. You do that, they're going to knock $70. They're basically going to buy you dinner. They're going to knock $70 off your first bill. 2022-REALTALK at parkpower.ca. And if you're dealing with Park Power, and if you're thinking of putting solar on your roof, you're going to want to give Kubi Energy a shout today. You can find them online, get a free quote at kubienergy.ca or give them a call at 1-855-961-3377. That's 1-855-961-3377. Now, what does Kubi have to do with Park Power? Well, once your solar power system's up and running and giving you more juice than you need, Park Power's got a great rebate program in where they're going to give you more than the big providers do. They're going to make it worth your while. That's a great collaboration between Kubi Energy and Park Power, two of our valued Real Talk sponsors. Well, our next two guests have stepped out of their duties in Ottawa for just a moment to check in with us, and we're grateful for it. A story that's been certainly driving conversation across the country over the past few days. Canadian Blood Services will, by this fall, lift its blood ban, its donation ban on men who have sex with men, including members of the LGBTQ2S plus community. It's a ban that has stood for decades, despite the strong advocacy efforts and powerful personal stories of Canadians across the country. Rob Oliphant is a liberal MP out of Don Valley West. Eric Duncan, a conservative MP out of Stormont, Dundas, South Glengarry. We're grateful that the both of you have been able to join us. Uh, Rob, you shared a story in front of millions of Canadians, essentially in front of your colleagues in Parliament just a couple of days ago, where you shared how very personal this story has been for you, including losing a partner of yours many years ago. Obviously, I would imagine it takes a little something to tell that story in front of millions of Canadians. Why did you decide to get so personal? I think the reality is that uh, I'm of a certain age 
that uh, went through the very early uh, uh, AIDS crisis. Um, I'm of an age that uh, uh, I remember when the virus was isolated for the first time in 1982 and uh, uh, 1983, I guess, and uh, went through that crisis and watched the stigma that uh, my friends faced and uh, including my partner who was diagnosed with HIV and then died in 1993 of AIDS. And it, um, it is uh, one of the, the legacies of that stigma is the blood ban. And the blood ban reinforced negative stereotypes and reinforced uh, the stigma. Let me be very clear. I absolutely believe that our blood system needs to be safe. Canadians need to have confidence in our blood system. Um, but the science has evolved. And uh, the blood ban was uh, uh, really should have been a behavioral-based uh, uh, model decades ago, I mean, at least a decade ago. And uh, successive governments have not got that done. I'm glad we finally got there. I'm glad to see uh, my colleague Eric here, and he's been one of the advocates for that as well. And it's taken time to get Can Canadian Blood Services to move on it, and it's it's too slow. It's uh, It's been a problem that uh, a, a generation of gay men and men who have sex with men have had to deal with, and I'm glad we're getting uh, finally getting that done. As Rob mentioned, uh, Eric, this is also something that you've spoken about, including getting personal yourself in the House in front of your colleagues just a couple of days ago. You talked about the pace at which this has moved and how that's been frustrating for you. Um, do Rob's comments on stigma resonate with you personally? Absolutely, they do. And uh, I, I'm thinking of, you know, the last couple of weeks as well, actually the last week of this news coming in, absorbing it all and thinking, yeah, I, I felt the stigma personally. I know, unfortunately, for generations back, as Rob illustrates back in the 80s and the 90s and for far too long, uh, the unacceptable stigma that was around those HIV and AIDS and how we had the, the blood ban come into effect. And I've been very fortunate and said that I, I, I consider myself quite privileged in my coming out story uh, and a small rural town in eastern Ontario coming out as, uh, as gay has been very positive. But one of the few times that I felt discrimination or felt a stigma was when I went to donate blood back when I was about 17 years old, about 17 years ago. And it wasn't until then when I realized that we couldn't, I couldn't donate, I was disqualified. And it was just very unfortunate at that point. It was one of the very few times that I felt like there was something wrong because I was gay. And so the fact to see this progress being made, there are some more things to do. And I agree with Rob completely. The pace in which it was done was very frustrating. And I think one of the things is that we've made a step in the right direction, getting a resolve on this particular issue. But one of the conversations we need to have at the federal level as elected representatives is how do we continue to make sure the blood supply is safe? But how do we make sure when we see discrimination, when we see the opportunity to allow, in this case, more men to safely donate blood? How can we get a better process to make sure that there's a timely change, in this case, to end discrimination and stigma? I want to ask both of you this question. MP Oliphant, we'll, we'll start with you. Uh, you mentioned, you referenced the behavior-based model that this will now follow, and we expect this to come into effect in September, at least this fall, uh, where uh, you know potential donors will be asked if you've had more than one sexual partner over the past three months. And uh, if the answer is yes, then the subsequent question will be, did you participate in anal sex? Uh, deemed to be a higher risk activity in the context of of blood donations. If the answer is yes, then that donor will be denied the opportunity to donate blood. Is this not essentially still a ban targeting certain communities? Like, what's your perspective on that? Well, what it is, is that I will be asked the same questions you're asked. And, and uh, we've always had uh, limitations on who can give blood. That's always been the case based on people's health status. I mean, my mom was a lifelong blood donor. And uh, when she reached uh, her early 90s, she was no longer able to give blood because she was on various medications and her doctor felt it wasn't a good thing. And she was no longer able to give blood. So what she said to me there was, I'd like you to take over and be the blood donor that I have been. And I couldn't. Now I will be able to be at least eligible for that, uh, as you would be, uh, to do that. So um, I think the science is still evolving. I will keep pushing on that science to make sure that it is the right question, uh, the right science. And, and we'll say it, but it is the next step in this uh, process to make sure that we're, um, uh, we are asking everybody the same questions. Uh, and then we'll deal with risk. And at the same time, making sure Canadians are confident their blood, in their blood system. 
Yeah, no, that's a great point. Eric, where do you land on that? Uh, the same there as well. That's when we reference more work to be done. And I think we are switching from asking based on sexual orientation to behavior based. That does create an equality for everybody's asked that same question. Uh, but yes, this goes back again to the same premise of where uh, Health Canada, Canadian Blood Services, HEMA, Quebec, we need to do some further uh, research on this, but I think I have a better coordinated process. One of the suggestions that I've had is too, is working with international partners. Uh, there's research underway uh, in the United Kingdom, in Australia, in New Zealand, to certain effects. There are certain stages and certain levels as well, but I think one of the things we have to do at is be more aggressive, keeping the blood supply safe, making sure the research uh, is, is valid and accurate. But this change itself, we knew what the same alternative was, is basing it on behavior, not sexual orientation. But now there's some other work that needs to get done. So part of our job is not uh, doing the research, but advocating for it and the process to make sure uh, that there is an urgency to deal with this. Because I think the more people that can safely donate blood, you look at the ads, we see them all the time. The pandemic was particularly tough uh, for getting enough blood donations. If we can open up the eligibility further to allow more people to safely donate, uh, we need to make sure those tools and resources in place to do that in a timely and frankly urgent manner, both from a discriminatory process, which we saw here, that being changed, but also in the idea of trying to get uh, the most number of people being able to donate blood. It's somewhat of an unusual experience to, to interview an MP from government and an MP from opposition. And in, it strikes me that the both of you are almost agreeing on everything and the importance of this, the pace at which it has moved, et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of an unusual thing, I think, for, for Canadians to see. What don't is that? jinx it. Well, yeah, I don't <laughs> want to jinx it. And I'm sure perhaps there are things we could pick at here and there's things that you may disagree on. But generally speaking, it strikes me that MPs uh, across across the aisle, and for that matter, across the party spectrum, all seem to agree that this is incredibly important. This should have been done a long time ago. Rob, what was the tipping point, or what do you think pushed it to this point? Why did it happen now? I mean, friends of mine, in, in particular, I can I think of one of my pals. Uh, he's wanted to donate blood. He's been in a long-term gay-committed relationship, and this has driven him nuts. I mean, every single time anybody would talk about blood donation in any context, he would bring it up and bang the drum, as he should. Never blamed him. As a matter of fact, I felt like it was egregious. And I think most Canadians would have agreed. So so what finally got the ball rolling? I think uh, funding research that uh, was done and uh, studies that were done that convinced Canadian Blood Services to make that application. They then had the data, they had research, they had uh, a, a background to do it. So it, it took longer than I think it should have. Um, I think there's a naturally small c conservative approach to those medical issues and uh, i understand it but it was frustrating and i'm glad we've pushed it on and just on our agreement i would say you know politicians are human first and uh, for eric and me part of our humanity is our or sexual orientation it is who we are uh, that comes you know uh, listen i was gay before i was a liberal that's where i i was born um, and so eventually, you know, it, uh, we have more in common uh, than, than not. And uh, so we'll disagree on stuff in the House. And we've got a vote coming up very quickly that we're going to have to get to. Uh, I, I'd hate to, to, to miss the vote. Uh, but, you know, uh, we, we have more in common. And it's, it's something that um, uh, the gay men, uh, bisexual men have shared. And, uh, and we'll do that. And it, it crosses political uh, boundaries. And I know, you know, just a shout out to the activists who've been after us for uh, for ages. I was one of those when I was in opposition, pushing the uh, the, the conservative government. Uh, now Eric's been pushing us and I welcome that pushing. And I think I think we're, we're getting there. It's slow, but we're getting there. I promised your team I'd have you out by 20 after. I'm going to I'm going to go one minute early so you don't have to break a sweat getting to that vote. Uh, that's Rob Oliphant, the Liberal MP out of Don Valley West, Eric Duncan out of Stormont Dundas, South Glengarry, the Conservative MP. Huge thanks to both of you for showing up for this. Right. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. You bet. We and we really appreciate it. And, and the shout out to like their, their uh, you know, their teams behind the scenes. Awesome. We're going, we just need him for 10 minutes. And uh, in particular, MP Oliphant's team says, uh, you can have him. He's going to step out. They said, but you better not keep him long. I said, we <laughs> promise we won't. But I really appreciate their comments there and yours as well. Uh, you know, I oftentimes qualify something. And I'll say if this is a story that impacts you personally, and we realize that kind of the whole point of this show and, and how we determine or decide what we're going to talk about. A lot of that has to do with your feedback and you letting, we know that 
for the most part, these stories do impact everybody, but but some people more than others. It's more personal. It's more of an acute feeling or a focus that you have when you approach these types of stories. And those are the bits of feedback uh, that we're particularly interested in. And if you take some time to be in touch with us, we'd appreciate it. And we want to keep these conversations going as we endeavor to learn more and more about them. We're going to circle back to our so-called top story today in just a moment. Roe v. Wade appears to be Uh, set to be overturned by the Supreme Court in the United States. That, in just a minute, are observations. Uh, But first, every Tuesday, our friends at Leading Edge Physio give us an opportunity to feature somebody or something, uh, an organization or an entity that's making an impact in its community. We call it the Leading Edge. And in the spotlight of this week's Leading Edge, it's Unbelts. And founder Claire Theaker Brown. It's a local small business that designs, manufactures, and sells trendy belts and accessories while changing the fashion manufacturing industry. Claire lived in China for about six years in the mid-2000s, realizing the quality of local Chinese goods was actually quite high despite a poor made-in-China reputation. And when she traveled back to Canada, she began to notice it was these big, supersized box stores with cheap piles of low-quality products that were thriving, especially in fashion. And Claire, well, she wanted to change that. So she launched Unbelts from her living room 10 years ago in China. And the product made locally small quantities being sewn by skilled women just down the street. And as the business grew, so did the movement, the global movement against what is called fast fashion. They launched a second studio right here in our home city of Edmonton about four years ago, and now they're using shorter turnaround times, launching new prototypes they're offering to all of their employees, regardless of where they are on the planet, living wages, stable hours, and upward mobility. In other words, this company is focusing on the who, not the where, striving to benefit as many communities as it possibly can. Unbelts is a certified B Corporation. It's Canada's national coordinator for a global movement that empowers consumers to ask and check out the hashtag, who made my clothes? Educating brands about how to make more ethical choices. It's earned Unbelts an Edmonton Chamber Community Impact Award for donating thousands of ethically made sustainable masks to teachers and schools across the province and of course one of Claire's belts recently worn at the Oscars. She's an entrepreneur and she's a mover and shaker in today's business environment and that is why Claire Theaker Brown and Unbelts are on the leading edge. Leading Edge is presented by Leading Edge Physio. Life shouldn't hurt. Well, it was political. Uh, Politico.com is where you can read this story, uh, breaking the story last night um, after a document provided to journalists from a whistleblower that indicates the Supreme Court has voted to overturn abortion rights. Now, many of you have been chiming in on our live chat. Uh, you can get us on Twitter at any time at Real Talk RJ. And tomorrow we'll continue this conversation with experts that are working in this space. We want to know where you land on this and in particular how you're processing the magnitude of the potential here, including in Canada. If you follow Data Driven MD on Twitter, this is an interesting one. Dr. Jorge Caballero uh, tweeted this morning, the only time I've cried in front of a patient. This is a reality check. This is a perspective check. I wanted to read this one. The only time I've cried in front of a patient, says the doctor, a 20 something woman whose baby had multiple lethal malformations forced to carry the pregnancy to term. Lacking access to prenatal care, she didn't know about the malformations until it was too late to have an abortion. And I remember that she was a really nice person and that stuck with me, says the doctor, because it seemed like everything that could go wrong did, in fact, go wrong. We were all pulling for her to catch a break, but she never did. She was offered a C-section from the outset, but she opted to labor instead. She explained that knowing the baby wouldn't survive, she wanted to give the baby the best chance at the least traumatic experience possible. She labored for more than a day, says the doctor, before reluctantly agreeing to proceed via C-section. The baby had irreparable heart and lung anomalies, but it wasn't clear how long exactly they'd survive. So the neonatal ICU team was there to provide comfort care if necessary. Mom had grown emotionally attached over the nine months and asked to hold the baby for a brief hello and goodbye. 
Upon delivery, the obstetricians took great care to wrap a blanket around the most visible malformation. The back of their head was missing before passing the baby. Says the doctor, I'll never forget that moment. I witnessed an outpouring of love, fear, grief, unlike anything I'd ever seen or will ever see again. The pain and suffering by mother and child alike was too much to bear, and I began to cry. I asked one of my colleagues to give me a quick break so that I could collect myself before returning to the room. I was only gone for a few minutes and returned to witness a grieving mother watch their baby struggle to breathe. No mother should be forced to go through that, and yet she was, all due to a legal technicality in the state where she lived at the time she learned she was pregnant. And as I sit here tonight, wrote the doctor last night, I can't help but wonder how she's doing. I can't help but wonder what she'd say knowing that there could be many more women in her position in the years to come. I can't help but feel anger toward the ignorant assholes pushing for anti-abortion laws. That's from Dr. Jorge Caballero, who shared that under his Twitter account, Data Driven MD, if you'd like to check it out and share. Now, I guarantee if I know anything after years of facilitating public conversations on talk radio here on real talk and on television before that that we will hear from folks pro-life advocates pro-life activists people that have fought their entire lives to stop abortion from happening in different contexts some of them with placards and demonstrations some of you by by funding and donating to and supporting pro-life groups and pregnancy resource centers and that's fine that's your choice And it's always been suggested that if you have a problem with abortion or if abortion offends you, then don't have one. But the bigger issue here, as we reiterated with many of the tweets that we showed you off the top, Shannon Watts said it, uh, the advocate for tighter gun laws in the United States. She said a reminder that the same lawmakers who say gun laws won't stop gun violence believe abortion laws will stop abortion. And we know that They won't, which simply means that there are health implications, survival implications for women, for people in vulnerable positions, in particular in these American southern states like Mississippi, where this legislation is currently being challenged and will continue to be challenged as this story rolls on. We'll follow this from different angles, informed by your takes, and we invite your commentary every day. We care what you have to say about the stories that we cover. We wanted to remind you that we are proud to be the opening night presenting sponsor at this year's Northwest Fest. It runs May 5th through the 15th in person at Edmonton's Metro Cinema. The opening night feature, I'm going to be there. I'm really excited that the star of the show, Ray Parker Jr., is going to be there, as is Fran Stein, the filmmaker behind Who You Gonna Call? It's the story of Ray Parker Jr.'s journey in gifting the world that Ghostbusters theme song. But much like other performers, like I would say Bobby McFerrin, Don't Worry, Be Happy, maybe another example. Not sure. Compar- you know what I'm about to say? Yeah. Bobby McFerrin's a brilliant jazz musician. Everybody thinks he's the Don't Worry, Be Happy guy. Yeah, it's a quirky thing. But, but he's his actually catalog's way deeper. Genius. Ray Parker Jr., his story will knock your socks off. I've seen the advanced screening already. You're going to love it. He's going to be joining us, by the way, on the show tomorrow. Very excited about that. If you subscribe to our Real Talk Sunday message, we've sent you details on how you can get into that screening with us coming up this Friday, 7 o'clock, for free. Now, if you missed that Sunday email, you still want to qualify. You can always shoot us a note to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We want to see that theater full as we kick off this year's edition of Canada's longest-running documentary film festival. So many other amazing films in store, and we want to make sure that you know all about it. So if you check out northwestfest.ca, you can find those details there. We're also excited to tell you about Friesen Brothers coming up over this next little bit. Of course, they are getting into grilling season, and you can see it all over their website. They know what everybody's up to right now. You're getting that power washer out. The garden hose isn't going to freeze overnight anymore. You're, you're cleaning up the barbecue, and you're getting ready to go. Whether it's entertaining for the family, whether it's just bringing the neighbors over like we're going to be doing this weekend. Really excited for that. The warm weather is back, and we want you to celebrate by enjoying items you can heat up on the grill. Go to Friesen.com and click on the link to heat up the grill. You'll be able to see the amazing selection that they've got in store and check out their flyer 
Now we're just a couple of days past the first of the month. We wanted to give you that heads up. How many of you headed to Friesen Brothers over the weekend? The first of every month, grocery purchases, $75 or more are 15% off. For families, that's a big deal. Yet another cost saving coming at you from a Real Talk partner. We're proud to partner with them. And our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park want to remind you that it's blizzard season. Is it ever not blizzard season? It's not really ever not blizzard season. It's year round, isn't it? It is year round, but they do have some special edition blizzards that you can find in Sherwood Park at their Baseline Road location, plus Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, and Westmount in Northwest Edmonton. Probably the star of the show right now, at least in our household with Wyatt Rudy, it's the Oreo Dirt Pie Blizzard treat. Now, Dirt Pie, if you're not familiar with it, you've got these cookie crumbles. you got that kind of mocha yeah. taste. you got the gummy worms making their way <laughs> through the dirt. And then that signature DQ soft serve. You can find those Blizzard treats at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. And we encourage you to let them know that Real Talk sent you when you arrive. Keep in touch with us over the next 24 hours, Real Talkers. We want to know where you're landing on these big stories of the day. And, of course, we've got you covered for stuff that might be flying under the radar, including coming up tomorrow. As mentioned, I'm really excited for our conversation with Ray Parker Jr. He's going to be joining us on the show. We're going to take a look at the Canadian implications of this Supreme Court action, that decision in the United States when it comes to women's health and women's access to abortion. Plus, on Thursday, we'll talk to the founder of Bot Sentinel, another angle on making Twitter more safe. We'll see you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, technical producer John Hicks, managing director Josh Dunford, account coordinator Lauren Sterlego, general manager Katie Cook-Chivers, website design Mike Johnston, voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Tuvetti, Ahmed Ali, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.